You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Coronavirus and Sports. This is Luis Miguel Echegaray. Today... We'll be talking to Taylor Twelman and Alejandro Bedoya on MLS and U.S. soccer initiatives, plus a chat with SI's Alex Pruitt as he returns to the podcast to discuss his latest piece, a report on the Chinese Basketball Association and why its return continues to be delayed. When the Chinese Basketball Association, China's number one basketball league, shut down in January, it became the first major sports league to do so, hoping to restart following the country's reaction to the pandemic. Originally eyeing April as a return, the time changed again as the league met last month and moved it to July. What does this mean for the league, basketball in general, and most importantly, Americans who play in the CBA? We talked to SI senior writer Alex Pruitt, whose piece on this very subject comes out today. Make sure you check it out on SI.com. Joining us now is SI senior writer Alex Pruitt. Alex, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Alex, uh, let's begin with a general question for our listeners. How popular is the Chinese Basketball Association in China, would you say? Uh, definitely not as popular as the NBA. Maybe ironically enough, this was I think an important year for the CBA in terms of eyeballs domestically, given the Daryl Morey situation, um, given that local TV you know, companies and rights holders, you know, pulled NBA games. They stopped showing them after Daryl Morey's tweet about Hong Kong. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, relative to the NBA, that's clearly number one over there. You know, NBA stars go over every year and, um, you know, draw Beatles level crowds everywhere they go. Um, the biggest CBA stars are, you know, still famous, but not and nowhere near as the NBA. But that said, you know, it's it's still a pretty popular league domestically. Um, you know, no small part thanks to some of the American and um, other foreign import players who come in. Um, it, it's turned out to be a pretty soft, you know, cushy, well-paid, nice park landing spot for guys kind of at the tail end of their career who have that big um, that big name NBA recognition um, that allows the the domestic fans to gravitate to them and the CBA. 
you mentioned that the influence of uh, American players, uh, you know, help. How many are there on a ballpark level? You don't have to give me an exact number, but how, how many would, would you say play in the league and, and how um, is the number growing, decreasing? Yeah, I, that's actually a pretty, pretty easy question to answer. There are 20 teams in the league and each of them are allowed only two import players at one time. Um, there's one team, uh, Bayi, the former army team. Um, I, I believe they still don't have, um, foreign players. They're an all, they're the only all Chinese team. And it's this kind of delicate balance that goes on there that, um, you know, chairman, the chairman of the league, Yao Ming has, is at the wrestle with, um, promoting domestic talent versus selling tickets and, um, you know, obviously attracting fans and, and, you know, increasing really the talent of the, the talent level of the league by bringing in some of these import players, um, so there's all sorts of restrictions. You know, you can't play your import players uh, together on the court in the first and fourth quarter. You can only do it in the second and third quarter. You can only do it, only play one import at a time if you're playing that Bayi team. Um, there's even talks about having uh, even stricter regulations in the future that you can only have one active import uh, on your roster at any time. You could stash a few under contract, but they can't actually suit up for the game. Um, all of this is kind of meant to uh, promote the domestic talent, the domestic competition in China. You know, all the way going back, this you know story that really starts with Yao Ming. He's the first um, and first and only Chinese star to come to the NBA, and since then, um, no one has really followed in his footsteps. So this is a measure, interestingly enough, implemented by him um, to try to make that happen. So interesting. And from the other side, why is it an attractive destination for American players? Yeah, um, the money for one. Exact numbers are hard to come by, but it's generally understood that it's the highest paid league in the world outside of the NBA. Um, especially when you prorate on a month by month basis, um, these guys are making, you know, upwards more than a million dollars tax free, right into their pocket, right in their bank account, because the you know Chinese teams pay for their taxes. This is going right in their pocket for a pretty short season that ordinarily only runs like four or five months. You know, their lucrative bonuses, hundred thousand dollars for making the playoffs, hundred thousand dollars for going every other round. Uh, you can have you know rebound bonuses or assist bonuses into your contract, um, and then the perks are really nice. You know, everybody flies. Uh, com commercial in the Chinese Basketball Association, but the import players get first class seats. Their families are allowed to come with them on a road trip. So they can negotiate that into their contracts. You know, they stay at five star hotels where their domestic teammates might stay in like dorm style apartments. Um, it's I'm just sure generally that's a, popular with other teammates. <laughs> well, yeah, and that um, kind of opens up, a, I guess, an entirely different conversation about life in China compared to life in America and the rights that the players have. And some of this is, is coming into play with the coronavirus. Right. But in general, yeah, these these guys go over there expecting to be treated very well, um, expecting to have a pretty short season. And there's obviously a lot of business opportunities too available in China for some of these guys after their playing career is over. Okay, let's talk about the situation during the pandemic. The league, as you mentioned in the piece, was the first major sports league to shut down uh, during it back in January and was aiming for an April return. But then officials met up in April and, and delayed it. Um, to July, I believe. Why? Hard why? To keep track. Right. It's hard to keep track. The, the the days and the months change. But what happened? Why has it not started yet? The simplest answer is like, why hasn't life started? Uh, which is this virus. Um, once you get down and kind of drill down into it, there because it becomes pretty clear that the CBA, I think, got ahead of its skis. Um, that they wanted or thought that they could get back. Um, in a pretty similar format to what we're seeing now being floated with, you know, in Arizona with Major League Baseball or some of these, you know, central sites with the NHL or uh, Disneyland or Las Vegas, Disney World with, with the NBA. It was going to be a central site, a bubble where teams would play. 
they would live, they would be tested daily, um, and then they would finish the balance of their season um, essentially behind closed doors with no fans. And once that became, I think, you know, again, this kind of goes back to the way things operate in China. You know, Yao Ming, as he pointed out to me when we talked last year, you know, he's He's kind of like the Adam Silver and the head of USA Basketball at once, but he also has to answer to a government official. You know, the buck doesn't stop with him. He can't unilaterally make decisions. And um, obviously in countries around the world, you know, people are making decisions in conjunction with the government, but it's even more pronounced there in China that they have to run their plan up the flagpole, that they have to get approval from the sports ministry, the general administration of sport. And it became clear that the CBA thought that it was close to getting back, that they had a plan um, to the point that they brought all these, a lot of these Americans back. These guys went through two weeks of quarantine, government-mandated quarantine in a hotel room by themselves. They start practicing. And then, like you said, they learn because the government steps in and issues kind of a, um, a continued blanket ban on, on mass gathering, sporting events and such, um, that they're going to have to keep waiting. You know, planning is obviously something that every league is doing right now as they, as they try to think about how to get back to normal I think where this becomes a little bit more of an issue, especially for some of these, some of these import players, is the fact that they were asked to go back uh, when it quickly became clear that the reason they were asked to go back was not going to happen, at least not for another couple of months. So let, let's focus on that part. How much information are players getting during the day and or you know weeks, whatever? How transparent is the CBA being with both its teams, its players, st- staff, and fans? How, how informed are they being during the whole thing? Yeah. Again, it's you kind of have to separate it out into domestic Chinese-speaking players versus international players. A lot of these American guys um, who, you know, their only communication with the team comes through their translator or, you know, perhaps an English-speaking strength coach or um, if there's someone in the front office who speaks English or their agent. There's not a lot of places for them to go get information. Um, I guess if they wanted, they could, you know, go peruse some Chinese websites and, and punch it into Google and stuff and um, but even there, there's there's just not a lot of communication. Um, I think the league's last official statement was put out on January 24th when they announced that they were going to suspend February 1st. And since then, they've had, I think, at least two delays getting their season pushed back a couple months. So that, yeah, that, that has been the biggest frustration, I think, for some guys that I've talked to is um, kind of the lack of communication that everyone understands that these are unbelievable, unprecedented circumstances. But as, as one guy put it to me, I don't see why they wouldn't just cancel the season already um, or at least say that they're going to make a decision by this date. It just seems to be kind of this perpetual fits and starts. You know, I spoke to one Chinese player who has been practicing with his team since January, pretty much as though it's like a preseason, you know, tw- two a days, five, six days a week, full court, full contact, five on five drills. Um, and he said he and his teammates just stopped listening to all the rumors because they just get a new message once a week. Right. The other part about uh, this situation, sticking with the same theme, is that in the piece uh, that you write is how international players, but those who are at home, not in China, waiting for the league to return or at least, you know, the latest information, but at the same time, fearful of getting sick if they travel back to China and and also the possible ramifications if they don't even come back. Talk to us a little bit about that, you know, the, the, the lack of communication and how some international players are fearful of what could happen, you know, if they don't really listen to the team, even though there's no league right now. Yeah, um, a lot of this stems back, I think, to, to word that guys, players got, import players got when the league was supposed to start off April 15th. Based on my reporting and, and other reports, there wasn't ever really an official memo um, threatening sanctions for players not returning, but players were certainly under the impression that either they or their agents would face some sort of ramification if they weren't brought back, or at least some players got that message. 
now that they're in kind of perpetual limbo, some guys have, have started coming back home to the U.S. And, you know, as, as one player put it to me, um, the, the number one thing, regardless of whether or not you're going to or from China, the number one thing you're just not supposed to do right now is fly. And especially probably not fly like 16 hours across the country, across the world, and then sit for another five hours in the airport and then go through health screenings and then go through quarantine. And there is that just like that overarching specter of, of the virus that if they travel, it's putting themselves at risk. So, you know, some players stayed in the U.S. because their families didn't want them to go back. And on the contrary, some players are still in China because their players or their families didn't want them to leave China and go to the U.S. So it's, it's just kind of uprooted everyone. I mean, again, this is no different than the rest of the world and the rest of life. But for these guys, I think it's especially pronounced because, um, you know, all eyes for a time were on China as kind of the, the torchbearer for sports coming back to normal. Yeah, the inconsistency and the fear is just keeps lingering. I mean, you mentioned a really good point about the traveling. I mean, this is not just a one-hour car ride we're talking about. Um, I wanted to go back to another point um, in terms of, you know, the league itself, because you brought up something in the piece that was really important to remember as well, even if it sounds as simple as it can be. But we're seeing other leagues from other sports in other countries coming back. Taiwan and South Korea with baseball and soccer. Germany's Bundesliga, of course, is coming back May 16th. Why is it harder for the sport of basketball to return? A great question. Um, and one that, um, as of we record this, I'm waiting to hear from like epidemiologists on to see what they think. But it seems like pretty fundamental, right? That if you have people inside a building playing a full contact sport, you know, wearing tank tops and shorts and sweating all over each other, um, that that's just more dangerous than playing baseball or playing soccer where, you know, the only person who actually touches the ball is, is the goalie who has gloves on. It would seem to me that ba that it would, fa you know, basketball and I guess hockey as well or other indoor sports would face more difficulties coming back just because of what we know about the virus, just extremely simple things that, you know, might be, might be overlooked when we keep thinking about, you know, the grand scheme of what it'll take to bring sports back. Right. Yeah. The absolute, we forget about not just the action itself, but what happens away from the action, the close contact and basketball being so, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, small sport, that could be a problem. Now, you know, Taiwanese basketball has been playing behind closed doors for a while um, in kind of this bubble scenario. Um, I'm not sure. I think they were planning to figure out, finish out their season. I'm not sure what the status of that is, but you know, this has clearly been done, but on a scale like the CBA and then on an even bigger scale, like the NBA, you know, Taiwan, yeah, did a very good job locking down on the virus. And then I think this is where you kind of telescope back out and look at the response in China and the response in, in the U.S., um, you know, the availability of testing, a relative, relative lack of it in this country. You know, for instance, like the NHL is, you know, they don't want to test asymptomatic players before they're coming back. I'm not sure how you can do that if enough tests aren't available to, like, run Congress. Um, it just seems to me like it's there's a lot of infrastructure that, it takes, that needs to take place um, over the next couple of months that... You know, even that life is coming back to normal in China that these guys described to me, you know, malls open, restaurants open, schools open, people on the streets, traffic on the roads. The fact that basketball is still not on the docket until July at the earliest, I feel like says a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Finally, Alex, what are some of the lessons from that the NBA, the biggest basketball league in the world, can take from what's going on with the CBA? Um, I spoke to a, a CBA executive who I think used to work in the NBA and he still maintains a lot of NBA connections. So people have been calling him naturally asking what's going on in China. What are the reasons for the delays? What are the pitfalls to avoid? What do we have to have when we eventually restart? What's the message? Um, and he said, his message is simple. Don't hurry that when the CBA hurried back, 
it opened the door for a whole lot of complications and a whole lot of issues that are still being resolved. Um, not just specific to, you know, starting games again in a bubble and testing players and such, but ramifications about players not getting paid because some import players went over there to China and came back. Just simply, his message was, was don't hurry. That, you know, I know we all want, that everyone wants sports to come back, that it'll be, you know, a, a nice triumphant sign of um, things getting back to normal. But when you step back and kind of think about, like we're talking, the kind of staggering level of infrastructure and people that need to go into this, you better be pretty sure that you got this under control that either there's a vaccine or you have enough point of contact testing available to sustain a bubble over a long period of time. Because what happens if another Rudy Gobert situation pops up and you have to shut the whole thing down again? Don't hurry. A great message, I think. And even though as simple as it sounds, it's a good one. Senior writer Alex Pruitt, thank you so much for joining us. Yep, thank you. We'll return after these short messages. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This week, several MLS teams returned to some form of training after the league cleared the way to begin voluntary individual workouts in line with local public or government policies. Clubs such as Atlanta United, Houston Dynamo and David Beckham's Inter Miami implemented individual player workouts. As it slowly begins to wake up, it's important to know how MLS acted throughout the pandemic, using several initiatives to help local communities. One of them was partnering with Captain Morgan as it created a campaign pledging an initial donation of half a million dollars to assist local MLS communities affected by COVID-19 through their local club partners' charities of choice. The campaign, which closed this week, raised more than the initial amount, and one of the main personalities to help throughout was Taylor Twelman, who joined us on the podcast. Note that this conversation took place before the end of the campaign. Joining us now is Taylor Twelman, former United States men's national team member with 30 appearances and six international goals. In MLS, he was a five-time All-Star, and in 2005, he was the league MVP and Golden Boot winner, I believe. Now he's a commentator and media personality with the ESPN, recently launched Banter with Taylor Twelman, a new soccer show dedicated to everything about the beautiful game. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Louise, how are you, pal? 
I'm good. It's so great to talk to you. Finally, we've crossed paths through other people, but never directly. So mm -hmm. thanks so much for being here. Taylor, so much to talk to you about, but let's begin with your involvement in the campaign with Captain Morgan, who's partnered with MLS and the League's uh, Unites initiative in order to help local MLS communities affected by COVID-19. What's it all about? Talk to us a little bit about it. Well, first off, uh, credit to Captain Morgan um, for taking the initiative of trying to give back to the MLS communities that have been affected by COVID-19. Obviously, they are a welcome sponsor, Luis, uh, in this uh, new league. They came in late last season, and obviously the excitement was there. But, you know, I, I've always been a believer that adversity reveals character. And for them to step up, donate $500,000 to help MLS communities – but then add some fun to it. You know, the, the most difficult thing for you, me, everyone else is this social distancing. And how, how, what do you do and how are you creative? You and I both love a nutmeg. No matter how you do a nutmeg, no matter how the nutmeg happens, we all love a good nutmeg. And I've seen some through furniture. I've seen some through animals I didn't know could be pets. I've seen some through spouses. Um, they've encouraged everyone to go to their Instagram post a nutmeg, hashtag Captain Morgan donation, and just join this. And then Captain Morgan's going to donate $25 for all of those submitted up to an extra $50,000 to the MLS community. So it really is just being proactive and progressive in their thinking of how to try to give back to MLS communities. And I just get to enjoy the nutmegs and uh, add a little color to it. Have you, have you done a few nutmegs yourself already or, or been a victim of one? Uh, I, I was, uh, I like a good nutmeg. Um, my two dogs are 15 and 12. <laughs> They're fairly easy to nutmeg. Um, but I've got a little bet going on with my, uh, two and a half year old daughter that if she can nutmeg me, then, you know, maybe I'll watch frozen two for the seventh million time this month. <laughs> I like that bet, even though you might not, but that's great. <laughs> to me, it's also important to think about the game in the U.S. from a local community perspective, you know, super hyper local, especially minority communities. Do you think your campaign um, and others can help out and reach these specific? Because I really believe that the voice of the black and brown soccer audience in the U.S. is also needed at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I, I think the one thing that is unique about this is that it does it comes in all colors, shapes, and sizes. It doesn't matter, Louise. Uh, whether you're black, brown, white, um, doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, um, you're helping, you're giving back. And obviously, you and I both agree that soccer is a game for the people. And it's for the people that, uh, you know, are the heart and soul of their communities. So I, I do think this reaches those communities that you talk about, but I think it reaches every community because if not everyone, say 95, 96% of everyone is practicing social distancing, they want to do something creative, they want to give back to their community. So why not give back to the community by nutmegging your pig <laughs> or horse or whatever you're doing uh, or your mom. I, I just, I feel for a lot of people, Luis, to end that part of what you're asking me for the people that have to do this in, you know, small apartments and those kids. And you just feel it's a difficult time for those people trying to find it. And that's why this is kind of creative. So uh, I, I do think it reaches everyone. Yeah, and with the power of social media, of course, uh, Agreed. The, the boundaries are endless. Let's talk about the league itself, Taylor. How do you think Don Garber and co. have been handling the outbreak and the current state of no action? Obviously, it's not easy on anyone, but how do you think the league has been handling it? 
I think they've been good, Luis. I mean, listen, they've been proactive about it. They were out in front of it. Um, you know, and obviously those are difficult decisions with Miami on the verge of having their home opener against the LA Galaxy on national television. You obviously had to wait it out, but they made the right decision. I think they've been very proactive. I think they've been very transparent. Um, I think it's interesting in our country that Adam Silver gets a ton of credit and yet they played games Hmm. during a time when probably they shouldn't have played games where, you know, MLS didn't. Now, MLS had the luxury, right? So with all due respect to Adam Silver, I I get it because you're at the end of the year, you're trying to go to the playoffs. MLS, you just kicked off your season. So time was on your side making those decisions. You've got to be progressive. You've got to understand that this is the first, there's no rule book on this. This is unprecedented. So you're going to make mistakes. Some people are going to make mistakes and you move on and you just try to fix them. But as a whole, I think MLS has been fairly good on this. Yeah, I I think I have to agree. I mean, you mentioned Inter-Miami and literally the ball was about to be kicked off right before everything uh, started. And as part of Inter-Miami, also expansion teams. How You know, my question, I guess, is, is there any club organization within the league that you think has has surprised you or made something that interested you during the outbreak? That's a good question. Um, Since you and I are are taping this on May 1st, I'll say – you know, Jorge Mas and his family of opening up their new stadium uh, to become a food drive was very impressive, but everyone's trying to give back. Um, And there's also some difficult times. We've seen some of the clubs have to furlough non-game day employees or whatever it may be, furloughing some employees. So it's a difficult time, but if you can do anything to give back in a time of need, you're doing that. A lot of clubs are giving back. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Luis Robles, a very, a very good guy. I've interviewed him as well. He's great. Taylor, you're you're an ESPN personality, uh, doing multiple things. But let's mm-hmm. start with the booth. You're a commentator, analyst, with your partner in crime, John Champion. I asked this of Ali Wagner a few weeks ago and her work in Fox. Same to you. Do you, do you miss the booth right now? Just the, the the feeling of commentating a game. Yeah, but I miss sports. I mean, Luis, truth be told, I I just I I want something. I love sports. There's something about sports. Now we know why sports is so expensive for television rights. It's unpredictable. It's 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 literally right there to be had and yet you have no idea. That's why that famous saying, that's why you play the games because anything can happen that day. And so when you're at the stadium, you're in the booth, you're with your colleagues, you're trying to put on the show that the fans enjoy, that the players are proud of, all that stuff coming together. I miss it. I don't miss John Champion that much. Um, <laughs> but yes, I miss it. And all kidding aside for the listeners, that's tongue-in-cheek. John and I are good friends. Uh, I do miss it. But you got to remember, I do about 200-some-odd days on the road. This year with the European Championships and being all over Western Europe, I was going to do almost 220 days on the road. So it's been a little bit of an everyday shakeup for me, just in the sense I'm usually preparing something every three days. Now, I do multiple things for ESPN now, not just soccer. So that's continued for me, but it's obviously out of my uh, home studio here in Boston. But long story short, that's been a little bit of a change, right? Every three days, preparing, watching games, doing something. Well, now here we are almost 46, 47 days where I haven't left the house really in Boston. And how's that been? I was, I mean, how has it been being, you know, with, with your family a little bit more? 
Yeah, honestly, it's been a gift for me, Luis, because that 200 and some odd days, I, I've got a two month old. Um, so it, it's been a blessing in disguise in a weird way. And I hate saying it that way, but I'm getting time with my two kids that I would have never gotten. It, it's been a good time for us here in the family. But if I could show you a picture of my two kids two days ago, the look on my oldest daughter's face is basically dad, are you, aren't you supposed to leave the house now? Like, I think my kids are like, yeah, let's, let's <laughs> Who get is dad out of the house. Let's get him out of the house for a few days. And then we can just all kind of come together. <laughs> just don't not make your two months. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I, if she nutmegs me, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> let's end it with banter. It's a great show. Yeah. Uh, banter with Taylor Twelman. Uh, how, how do you like doing it? Especially now, as you mentioned, you're doing it from home as it helps the soccer community stay connected much like your captain morgan campaign it's really just uniting people together i mean you have so many people there my friend paul tenorio i see him regularly yeah um how is it with you it's been good luis you know it's it's unfortunate um but i'm no different than everyone else but we launched it uh espn just built a five million dollar studio for new shows and digital shows. And they wanted a, they, they've asked me for a couple of years. And I finally said, you know what? Now the timing's right. You get the new studio. It's about to open. I think it was like April 15th and boom. Right. So now you're doing it off of zoom. You're doing it off your computer, your iPhone. Everyone else is doing the same thing. I'm no different. So there there's a little part of me that is like, mm, that's a bummer. But our last show before everything was shut down, Luis, there's an appetite. We did over a million views for one show on Facebook. No, it's a big deal. Yeah, but but Luis, it tells me there's an appetite for soccer at the American level of American emphasis, no matter if it's USL, women, men's national team, Yanks abroad, and Major League Soccer. It just makes me wonder, you know, I love doing it, but more so it's opened some eyes internally at ESPN of, you know, how do we evolve? How does this change? My goal is to give everyone in the soccer community a voice and a place to talk about it. And that doesn't matter where your affiliation is. And I think that's the most important thing. And um, we'll see where it goes. But right now, you know, early May, we're still doing it. So that's got to be a positive. <laughs> yeah, well, the fastest growing sports fan in the U.S. is the diverse soccer fan. And yeah, you're doing a really good job with banter. Taylor Twelman, ESPN. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, my man. The pandemic brought a standstill to action for MLS players, but it also offered an opportunity for many to think of other ventures outside of the pitch. Philadelphia Union captain Alejandro Bedoya is one of these athletes who, aside from helping his family and community throughout, aimed to better himself as he prepares also for life after soccer. Here's now Alejandro Bedoya. Joining us now is Alejandro Bedoya, captain of Philadelphia Union, with more than 60 appearances for the U.S. men's national team, a career that spans more than 10 years. I know he won't like it that I said that, uh, but such an impressive career, both in the U.S. and Europe. Alejandro, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having me. You know, I like how that my name rolls off your tongue, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Such a pleasure to have you. First off, congrats on graduating from Harvard Business School's crossover into business program. Talk to us a little bit more about the program. 
Yeah, it's pretty much just a, it's a way for professional athletes to develop their business acumen. So it was really awesome. I uh, first heard about it through uh, following Dwayne Wade when he first did it. I think they first tried this program out with the NBA players and, uh, you know, it just took off. It's tailored kind of to fit into our, our, our busy lives, you know, our lifestyle. Uh, you know, a lot of different athletes involved from all, all different leagues and, and um, you know, athletic backgrounds. Um, you know, we all have busy schedules or in the middle of our seasons, about to begin our seasons, all this stuff. So it's, uh, it's really tailored to our interests and need obviously being quarantined, you know, it just, it was even presented an even bigger opportunity for me to even read and study more, uh, more of these case studies and, you know, learn a lot from them. Why do you think it's important for you to further develop beyond the pitch? Because you do so much, uh, especially from a business perspective outside of the pitch. Why do you think that's important for an athlete? Yeah, I do so much. Sometimes it gets me in trouble at home, you know, <laughs> but uh, no, I think it's it's very important. I just remember watching a documentary called Broke, you know, on ESPN, I think it was. And then just uh, kind of really hit home, you know, because you do see so many of these athletes sometimes, you know, you're like, these guys are making millions beyond millions of dollars. And all of a sudden they're declaring bankruptcy or, you know, I think I came from a good background, good upbringing, you know, my father and then going to uh, Boston College and you know, studying at the business school there and the Carroll School of Management uh, just opened my eyes up and, and gave me a different perspective on, on this uh, financial literacy that I feel like uh, a lot of athletes kind of lack when they first turn pro. And, you know, they're given all these contracts and, and money and like it's like they don't know what to do with it. So for me, it was I, I think I really, really started getting into how I'm going to approach this next chapter of my life, you know, when. Uh, my career comes to an end because soccer doesn't, isn't going to last that long. Um, you know, when my son was first born in France and then I started really, you know, or at least when I got knowledge that I was going to have a son and be a father, it's like, okay, I got to prepare for the next phase. Right. Uh, I got to make sure that he's uh, going to be well off that I provide him with a good, uh, good support system. And, you know, you kind of think about, you know, providing the next generation with even a better life that you lived. I feel like that's just when I started really, really looking into it and taking a deeper dive and making a better use of my time to learn about things and become not more knowledgeable about certain things. And and a lot of these things have turned into hobbies and, you know, passion projects. And I think that's the next part of it when you become, you know, uh, when it becomes fun and, and you, you know, you, you're getting something out of it and it's providing you with something as well that, that it's making a difference. And hopefully, you know, I'll be, I'll be setting myself up for a smooth transition after my career is over and, you know, be closer to my businesses and things that I've got going on in my portfolio and, you know, provide my kids and, and my family with a, with a nice, uh, good living. Yeah. From, from real estate to coffee enterprises, you, you, you really are pushing that boundary and what an athlete represents. The other part that I enjoy about you, I mean, and I know you also personally is that you're someone who constantly pushes the message when it comes to community and social activism and, you know, the, the meaning of what it means to be united, both as a society, not just, a, you know, a, as a sports fan, how are you seeing your own neighborhoods in Philadelphia right now coming together during the pandemic? Are you seeing examples of that? Is there anything that you are doing yourself perhaps when it comes to spreading the message of unity during the pandemic? Yeah, for me personally, I think uh, we've all seen how much the restaurant business has, has struggled. And, you know, as a guy, like you said, who's uh, got a goal of opening up a family coffee shop business down in South Florida, you know, we, we love to eat out and try all the new restaurants, local restaurants. So a lot of them have started, you know, whether it's like GoFundMe's or like fundraising program, you know, that they're trying to start up to stay open and, and, and pay their workers. And, and you know, I'm not sure 
how many of them are going to survive after this is all said and done. But I've just tried to give back to, to those restaurants that I love that we go to often that we go, you know, to just have a coffee and catch up or link up. You know, I've made a lot of real good relationships with, with uh, local, you know, restaurants. So that's something from a personal aspect that I've been doing a lot, you know, of around here. Even, you know, one of my favorite restaurants, Vetri Cucina, you know, going into their wine cellar and just kind of buying up a whole bo- bunch of bottles of wine that I can at least, you know, help to support maybe a week's pay or something, you know, uh, whatever little thing I can help here. But no, I've seen the community, you know, Philly's awesome. Uh, I love the spirit here, you know, it has such personality and a lot of character. I think, um, you know, that's, that's what I love. That's what I love about living in the city, you know, uh, I think, uh, People are obviously that much closer together and you, you feel that sense of pride, you know, of, of your city. Yeah, absolutely. You also posted about the bluebirds. We saw that here in New York City as well. Just, uh, you know, all these things that are trying to be happening to connect. Um, let's talk about uh, soccer for a little bit. Let's talk about your career. First off, you know, what are your thoughts on what's going on right now? And, and are you hopeful on action returning? Uh, what do you think about the season specifically as it's going through COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, the main thing is just, you know, your your health and, you know, it takes precedence over anything, right? We're all still trying to figure out, even the medical health experts, you know, trying to figure out the, you know, are we safe? When are we safe to come back? When, you know, when should we come back, you know, to some sense of normalcy? Sports are no different, right? I mean, I think uh, sports may be probably one of the top five industry sectors that have been hit uh, from this pandemic. So, um, I think, like I said, health takes precedence. So I think I just want to make sure that when we do return, that we'll be safe too, you know, that we'll be able to get tested, you know, so that even if we go play in some area that, uh, however long we stay there, that when we come back, like, you know, that nobody has give, passed it on or given it to somebody else that they return and give it to their family members. And then here we go again, you know, um, a second wave, so to speak. Um, but I think, yeah, everybody just has to be cautious, but I think at the same time, we have to, we should be optimistic about trying to return to play. Right. I mean, I want to get back to the feel like I'm like working out in this gym downstairs and and doing CrossFit and stuff is boring compared to, you know, they're kicking a ball, you know? So whether it is with, without, whether we return without fans, you know, it is what it is. Right. I think fans will still be happy to be able to watch games on TV. You know, I think a lot of people in this country were kind of a little bit excited just seeing the NFL draft. You know, it was like some sense of like sports are back type thing. We still got some time, I think, to, to get in most of our season, you know, I think MLS from that standpoint is in a good position to to salvage the season, you know, to still continue to play. So, like I said, that that keeps us optimistic, and I guess it, it you know keeps our it gives us our our, our mental state something to, to root for and to hope for. And uh, yeah, I just can't wait to get back out there. But like I said, I think uh, you know, shout out to all the the frontline workers, all the people that are, you know, working on delivery and the restaurants still takeaway, you know, and all that they're, they're putting their lives at risk and, you know, credit to them. You've played in the UK, you've played in France, uh, you know, as we're speaking, the recent news of uh, League A now, you know, uh, terminated for the season, uh, PSG being given the champion, uh, two teams at the bottom for relegation. What are your thoughts in regards to Liga ending and, and how it awarded the title to PSG? Um, obviously, different situations, different scenarios, but, you know, seeing as you played there, how do you think that was taken? Yeah, well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of what they say, manifestation there in, in France. You know, a lot of they like to protest and I'm sure <laughs> the clubs are getting their their letters out. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I haven't really followed it too closely, but what I know from, you know, my friends and former teammates that are still there, apparently 
in the French FA or something, there there had been a, a clause or some type of written um, in written form that uh, if the season were to come to a, a halt or something like that for whatever reasons, that uh, that based on your standings, that that's how it would be you know finished. So, and that's a little bit different, I think, than other leagues in Europe. From my understanding, from the people that I know in France, that's what they've been saying. So, there is some language that they're, they they were, you know, uh, okay to go forward with this. But of course, that's gonna, you know, I mean, I'm sure that um, I don't know if too many people are complaining about PSG winning again because they were, you know, the front runners again and in the lead by a while. Well, similar to why I don't think anybody's going to complain if they just gave it to Liverpool, um, but. That's, I think, the where it holds a lot more weight is those relegation battles and those teams because they're going to have a bigger say on, on that, you know, it's not fair to them. There's still so-and-so number of games left. How can you even just determine that, you know, we deserve to go down? It sucks, man, for those clubs, you know, I think. But uh, on one end, you feel like, yeah, you know, there's a reason why you put this season together and you all the, every game is important. And that's why it matters where you end up in a table. But at this, at, on the other side, it's like, well, it's not fair, right? Like, it seem, doesn't seem fair. Like, the games are meant to be played, and, and that determines where you finish. So, Another topic that's incredibly relevant right now is, is mental health. And as much as we talk about players on training regimes, there is also the need to discuss how athletes are dealing with their own mental state of mind. You talk to teammates, as you mentioned, current and former uh, regularly, I'm sure. How important is it to you, do you think, that athletes receive enough support in regards to mental health? Yeah, I think it's very important. And I think now, you know, now that it's not being, you know, stigmatized as much, I think it's important for, for players to feel confident that, you know, we all have issues, right? We're humans, you know, there's a mental part of the game, there's a mental part of, you know, off the field where you have to take care of yourself as well. So to feel free to reach out, you know, and for, players and you know uh, coaching staffs or you know front office to also you know pay attention to you know uh, being at home quarantine isolated you know you can suffer from depression anxiety not being able to you know you don't have a schedule you don't have a routine you don't know what to do people you know you can lose your mind it's it's, it's tough it's not easy so you know a lot of players especially in MLS or any anywhere in the world for that matter we have a lot of foreign players you know on our team you know they're here by themselves they have no family here they're they're you know now it's been going two months almost you know where we've been on lockdown and uh you know what are those guys going through you know you're not supposed to be you know uh gathering with other people having social hours or whatever this and that so I'm sure those guys and those players are going through tough times you know it's it's not the same being able just to FaceTime your family across the world. You know, there is that part of intimacy that every, you know, the human element, you know, that you need, you know, and when you're not getting that, um, I think it can be very stressful and it can easily cause for, for, like I said, depression and anxiety. And I think it's important that we, we continue to um, offer help to these people, uh, to these players and for the players also to not feel, you know, uh, like they're soft or anything like that because i think in sports a lot we have this machismo right this you know you're supposed to be macho strong is what makes you really strong but i mean what i've learned now over the years is uh vulnerability takes courage and when you're most vulnerable that's when you become a stronger person and when you really feel that vulnerability is that's 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 really strength that's a great way to end it um alejandro bedoya captain philadelphia union thank you so much for joining us alejandro no, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. And stay safe and sane out there, man.
thanks to Taylor Twelman, Alejandro Bedoya, and Alex Pruitt for joining me today. We'll continue bringing you these stories throughout the coronavirus crisis. If you like what we're doing, please recommend us to a friend or family member and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. You can listen to Coronavirus and Sports for free wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe or follow us for the latest episodes. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.